With every investment comes risk, but how much risk are you really taking? Imagine you decide to take a drive. You're taking a risk every time you get behind the wheel of your vehicle. But that risk varies depending on a wide number of factors, such as how experienced is the driver? Uh, you know, are you driving in the daytime or at night? Are you in a small car or a one-ton pickup? The rules are similar when it applies to investment risk. And today on the Mach 1 Market Moment, we look at what plays into your risk factors and whether you're actually taking the amount of risk you think you're taking. Welcome to the Mach 1 Market Moment, where we provide financial information on topics such as investing, insurance, financial planning, and everything related to your money. A quick reminder that the hosts of the show are employees of Mach 1 Financial Group. This podcast is for informational purposes only, and nothing said in the show should be taken as investment advice. Employees and clients of Mach 1 Financial Group may maintain positions in the securities or strategies discussed. Be sure to subscribe to our show so you never miss an episode. Also, follow us on all of our social media platforms. We are Mach 1 Financial Group on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Today we're talking about risk. We're going to try to define what it is, what factors play into it, and why it's different for everyone. Uh, here today on the Mach 1 Market Moment, we've got Matt Walters. Matt, hey. welcome. Yeah, excited about today's topic. Yeah, we are too. We've, we've done a lot of prep for this. And, and uh, Eli is also here. Welcome, Eli. Mm-hmm. Thank you. All right, so let's dive right into it, talking about uh, risk. Matt, how would you define risk, and how do you... How do we typically see clients, or not just clients, but all investors generally misdefining risk? Yeah, yeah. So I think the as humans, right, we're we're fearful, right? Yeah. And so I think a lot of times as investors, we look at and define risk by how much is my account balance going up and down, right? And so if it goes down by a lot, now we could get into what a lot means, yeah. and that could be a whole other podcast of, you know, how wh- what is a big decline or what's a small, but that's typically how you do, how a lot of people define risk of like uh, my account's down 15%. Right. Like, you know, things are getting really bad or I'm taking too much risk or, you know, and, and really that's, that's in my opinion, I mean, th- I think that's the wrong way to look at it because um, it, it has more of a direct impact on what, what is that money for or what is yeah. that asset for? Like yeah. any asset, whether it's a stock or a bond or a real estate asset or what, like if, if you own a rental property and the housing market just gets hammered, right? And your house was worth 200000 and now it's worth 100000 but you're renting it out to someone paying you 1500 a month and they continue paying you 1500 a month. Like that doesn't, it, the back current value of the house doesn't Is it irrelevant? It's completely irrelevant. So you wouldn't want to think, oh, that's that's now a riskier investment. Yeah, you wouldn't guy. say, oh, we got to go sell this rental house. Right, yeah. right, because that wasn't your objective to begin with. That's right. The same as when you're buying a stock or making an investment in the stock market. If your objective and plan is, hey, I'm going to need the majority of this money 10, 20 years from now, then that, that asset declining in value in the interim, albeit not fun, nobody likes to see their account worth less today than it was yesterday, right? Mm-hmm. We're all right. in the same boat there. But – the depreciation of that asset in the short term is completely irrelevant as long as your your long-term goals and objectives are the same as they were when you made the investment. Right. And so uh, right on track, I mean, money ought to have an objective to it or different, think of it as different pots of money, different buckets of money ought to have different objectives. Oftentimes the way we do it here at Mach 1 is we'll, uh, as we do a retirement analysis for folks, we'll typically put enough money in the what you might call the near-term bucket, which for us is usually cash, CDs, 
fixed annuities, indexed annuities, stuff that has principal protection to it, we'll oftentimes put enough cash into those types of vehicles to provide for years worth, five to sometimes even 10 years worth of expenses. And guess what that's doing? That's providing a time horizon so that the money that is in the market that has the inevitable risk, the ups and downs that the market is going to have, it allows you to weather those storms, you might say, because you don't, you can look at that, you can look at that bucket of money, the money that's in the market. And even though to your point, Matt, and you were right, nobody likes to see their investments decline in value over the short term and certainly not the long term. But if you've done your planning correctly, you can look at that bucket of money and you can say, I don't need that for 10 years. And so you shouldn't have to worry about it. Right. Mm-hmm. right. So, so if you're looking at it from that perspective, David, risk isn't necessarily that, that what you're talking about, Matt, where the money's going up, it's going down, and you feel the pain of it. Risk is really just, is there something that will act, happen that will actually inhibit you from living your day-to-day life? Yeah. And then on top of that, will cause you stress, will cause you anxiety, anything that is inhibiting you from living your day-to-day life and just having joy, right. then that's risk. Yeah. yeah, that's right. If one one of the things I often tell our clients is a good a good indication if you're taking too much risk if, is if you're having trouble sleeping at night because of the volatility of the market or whatever it is that's causing you stress. Uh, it's just life's too short and it's not worth that level of stress to to uh, be that worried. But but again, I would go back to what I said earlier. I, I firmly believe that if you've got a good financial plan, especially as it relates to retirement. You, and you've got a good advisor who's keeping you, hopefully, reviewing with you regularly to to kind of reassure you about what the plan is. Mm-hmm. And in preparation for this podcast, I was reading, it's an essay by, I think he's passed away now, but he was a financial advisor. His name is Les McGuire. And the essay is called The Economic Value of Certainty. So the, the importance of having certainty and that, that actually providing value. And he used an analogy, and I think it's really applicable to what we're talking about today. And he said, if you're driving down a 100-mile stretch of highway and it's dark outside and it's snowy, rainy, you don't know if there's black ice, but so you go 20 miles an hour down that stretch of highway. Well, you make it all the way to the end and there was no black ice, there was no problems on the road. Well, you know, looking back, you could have gone faster. Whereas if it's during the daytime and you can see that there's no snow, you can see that there's no ice, well, then you can just drive as fast as you'd like. Well, you can only drive as fast as you're certain of. So with the same thinking with your financial plan, well, let's be certain that we're in a good position. Let's take the risk to know that we're still certain. And then we can drive at a pace that we feel comfortable and reach the objective at maybe even a faster pace than taking higher risk. That's right. That's why oftentimes, you know, at least here at Mach 1, and I know a lot of advisors do it this way, we'll solve for income first. When we're doing a plan for a retiree or a near retiree, we'll try to solve for income first, which is doing exactly what you just talked about, Eli, solving for certainty, or you might say, you might say, trying, attempting to provide certainty, at least in the near to medium term, by making sure that we've got all their expenses covered through guaranteed means. Right. And nothing to keep in mind talking about risk is that there is no risk free. Yeah. That's thing in life at all. I That's mean, there's right. not, there's not, there's, what do you mean? You, you can't run from risk. I tell, I, you know, talk a lot about, um, 
you can't run from risk. You just have to figure out which risk you're comfortable with. That's right. For some people, if you go put money in the bank at a CD, you know, in a CD, you're not saying, "Hey, I'm not going to take any risk." You're saying, "I'm more comfortable with the risk of inflation." Exactly. And this money getting inflated away, more comfortable with that than I am the risk in the stock market. That's it's right. not that it's risk free; it's just different risk. It's just a different risk. So you have to figure out ultimately putting together a financial plan, putting together a picture of what where you need to have money. It's finding the right balance of risk. What risks collectively am I most comfortable with knowing that none of these have zero risks at all, right? And so you might go, through, let's say we go through the next five years of high inflation. Let's say inflation stays high for five years. Lord willing, that doesn't happen. Yeah. But let's say your worst investment could very well be the CD you have at the bank right now because the stock market could do perfectly fine, right? It could, even if it's flat, uh, well, not if it's flat. Let's yeah. say it's up three, four, five 5%, yeah. right? That that's going to be um, better, right, than the CD you have at the bank because it's being – so over that period of time, your riskiest asset yeah. was your CD hindsight, right? right? Looking backwards, you don't know that on the front. And so just just having the, the um, understanding that there's nothing that's risk-free, I just have to really look deep down and figure out internally what risk am I comfortable with and when do I need that asset? Yep. If you know those two things, then you're you're on the right track for putting together a really good plan. Yeah, because risk is so personal. Because say, for instance, you have a large enough sum of cash that even though the market is going to cause you a lot of heartache and trouble, you know you have enough cash. Well, then you don't pull out of the market. Right. Well, then that cash actually kept your returns that, higher than if it was point. fully invested in the market and you pulled out when it went down. So it's, it's completely personalized. Yeah, and that's why, you know, what you just mentioned, Eli, is exactly why the rule of thumb for always having six months worth of living expenses in cash on hand at the bank, also known as an emergency fund. One of the reasons for that rule of thumb is exactly what you just said. Having that cash supply on hand, if an emergency did happen, prevents you from potentially having to liquidate out of the market at an inopportune time thereby contributing to your long-term, or hopefully um, positively uh, contributing to your long-term rate of return by being able to buy and hold. Because the, the most important thing to, at least historically, this has always been true, the most important ingredient to successful investing in the market is time. Right. Right. You might have heard on previous episodes, we've talked about how it's more time in the market is much more important than timing the market because timing the market is impossible. You can't determine with perfect foresight when you want to get in and when you want to get out. and t That's impossible. That's what I call fool's gold. So time in the market, though, has always produced historically a positive, good rate of return, especially um, a rate of return that's going to beat inflation, to your point earlier. Matt. Right, right. Yeah, and we were just listening to a podcast clip, right, that talked about how Warren Buffett – albeit he's known as kind of the greatest investor, one of the greatest investors of all time. He's definitely the wealthiest investor of all time from just a you know, market-based investing standpoint. But he's it, from an annualized return perspective, he's nowhere close to the best investor right. of all time. He's been, you can go out and find guys who've done much better on an annualized level than he has. He's just been investing for literally 80 years. <laughs> right. And so he's, he's got that magic ingredient he's far on his side. wealthier. That's right. Then, you know, like you, everybody's looked at like a compounding, you know, calculation. Yeah. You look at the tail end of it. I mean, the numbers can start to get silly, 
That's right. When you look at the last 10 years that's of right. a longer term projection where in the beginning, you know, it, so so that's it is all about time and, and figuring out when do you need the money, staying invested. Sometimes the worst thing you can do is is run from risk. Right. Because if you let's say you go through a market decline and you're you're considering just cashing out, and leaving on the sidelines, that literally that might be like the one decision that could actually keep you from achieving everything you that's want right. to achieve. Because if you don't ever get back invested and your plan was assuming like a 5% rate of return, right? I mean, so where you feel like you're making the rational risk, you know, uh, lower risk decision in the moment, it might be the highest risk decision long term. That's right. Um, so just keeping the perspective and um, it's not it's not always black and white where you just get thrown into this bucket. It is very personal. and Yeah. So Matt, when, when we're building financial plans, what would you say is the biggest risk for people in their retirement years or coming up to the retirement years? Well, we always say, I'll start with it. We always use the term and I got it from you, but David, it was, you know, only take the amount of risk necessary to achieve the desired outcome. Mm -hmm. And so if you're someone who is in retirement and you only have the amount of money, you really need your money to work for you. You're not going to have a lot left. And your desired outcome is I just want to have enough income to live and, you know, um, not take too much risk, then it's going to be coming up with a strategy where you have the spendable money, the cash that you need in the short term in combination with the rate of return over X number of years. So getting back to it's very personal, you know, it looks different for someone who's retiring at 55 with $10 million than it does for someone who's retiring at 72 with 250,000. They're both, they're both now retiring but their financial plans are probably going to be polar Completely different. And That's so right. I, you can't just say, hey, here's the cookie cutter approach for each and every person. And it also depends a lot. You know, there's so many different other factors. There's tax risk. Like, do you yeah. have a lot of non-qualified money or all is it is all of it in a 401k? Have you been contributing to Roth? And so it's like that we haven't even gotten into that. But there's so many risks that. Again, it's you're not going to ever get away from all of them. It's just balancing them out. And so I think, you know, naturally, there's two kind of arguments here that, and I, I kind of like making both of them sometimes, is that you can get more conservative as you get older, right? Which I think is true, mm -hmm. and that's how most people think. If you want, if you look just at the bare bone, like the numbers and the projections and the modeling, it actually says, goes to show that like, the older you get, you can actually start to get more aggressive again because now your time horizon is shrinking. Yeah, yeah. So you're like on the back end of if you still if you've had the right financial plan to get you through the initial point of retirement. And, and again, this all depends on what your goals are. But if your time horizon is now 10 years versus 30 when you first retired, then just mathematically you could technically afford to take more risk because a big decline doesn't hurt you as much. Mm -hmm. You're only trying to fund 10 years now instead mm -hmm. of 30. So and I would, that's not generally how people want to do it. Right. But it is, I was kind of like reminding myself of that. Like, if you're just looking at the numbers, like you could technically afford, you only need 10 years of income now. Yeah. And so we don't have to be ultra conservative. But then, but. well, I, I could almost make the argument of uh, ar the opposite argument of that to say that if you're only planning to for 10 more years, inflation also can't hurt you quite as much over a shorter period of time than right. over a longer. So you can, you could afford to be more conservative without it, without the inflation factor hurting you as much. So we're, we're both right. And this kind of, this kind of illustrates the whole problem of what we're talking about today. Risk is 
difficult to define and it's different for everybody. It's completely situationally dependent. Um, I, I'm a firm believer though, I'll reiterate this because I think it's this important. You solve for income first. If right. you if you have your expenses met on a guaranteed basis from things like social security, pensions, or annuities, studies show that retirees who have those income needs met live healthier, happier, longer lives because they're less stressed. They're not stressed about how they're going to pay the light bill this month or pay the grocery bill this month without having to take it out when the market's down. They also don't go from uh, euphoria to depression with every little market rise or fall, right? Because they know that they've got their income needs met on a month-to-month basis. So those are important factors. The other, the other factor, to, and I know this is really going back to your original question, is, you know, age, age, how old a person is, is a natural factor. We kind of addressed that already. But here's the last one I want to spend the last few minutes of the podcast talking about is spending. You know, we've talked about solving for income first. Well, the more you spend, the, the bigger that solving for income problem becomes, right? So let's... Eli, I'll let you talk about that a little bit. And Matt, too, I want you to weigh in on this. But why is the amount of money that uh, someone spends such a big risk factor? Well, just if you think about it in simple terms, even if you have a million dollars and you're spending $10,000 a month, well, that may last you five, six, seven, eight years. But if you have a million dollars and you're spending $2,000 a month, well, you're not even getting close to spending down that a million dollars for 30 plus years. And that's with no return. So just simply stated, and, and I think everyone can grasp that, right? Where if you're, if you're spending more, it's going to be difficult to make your money last, last longer. But it doesn't always feel like you're spending more because you, you may be used to a certain type of lifestyle. Well, now you retire, but your funds don't necessarily allow you to, to match that lifestyle. So you think, oh, this can just continue to go on forever. But in reality, Maybe you can't. You can't. Yeah. 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 Well, and sometimes... Uh, this isn't common. This is a little bit of a stretch. But, like, if you're you – say you're someone who's making $120,000 a year. You're maxing out your 401K. You're contributing to a Roth IRA, and you're spending the difference, right? And maybe you're tithing to your church, and you're spending difference, and that's supporting your current lifestyle. And then all of a sudden you want to switch to, okay, I want to live off $120,000 a year in retirement, but you're not contributing to your 401K, saving to a Roth IRA. Like, that's your, – your standard of – this is kind of to your point, Eli, like – it's easy to spend more than you think. Like your standard of living is actually going up, mm-hmm. right? Because you want the same quote unquote income, but you don't have any income. Like, so you're actually increasing your standard of living. And so you, you just have to be very cautious of like knowing and budgeting for the, the, the actual basic needs you have and then the extras and just having it all baked in because that, that spending creep, it kind of comes yeah. in and it just creeps in without you even knowing. Yeah. And you know, one element of spending creep that is really important to account for in your retirement plans. If you're, if you're out there listening and you're thinking about retiring or you're already retired and you haven't done um, a recent analysis that shows how long your money's going to last. One of those spending creep factors that some people fail to account for, especially when they kind of do it themselves on a spreadsheet at home is inflation. Right. You have to factor inflation in. Especially now. It I mean, makes right? a huge difference. A if you run a difference. scenario with zero for inflation versus like three, yeah. it's night and day in terms Even of Even like uh, assuming 5% inflation versus 3% inflation right. in the future. You know, you'd be surprised at 
what a fairly small difference of what you would think is a small difference in inflation can make make a major impact over a long period of time on how long your money's going to last because basically it's spending and all three of us can attest to the fact that when we do I don't know in a typical year we'll do probably a hundred or more of these retirement analyses for people what's the most important factor that determines how long a client's money is going to last whenever we do these is it retirement date um, uh, rate of return spending uh, what what their is budget. The, it's spending it's their budget right well, guess what inflation is? It's spending. It relates to spending. If you if you account for X percent inflation, that just means your budget is increasing at that rate every year compounded right. annually. So inflation is an expense, and expense expenses or budgeting is the critical, the most critically important factor that determines how long your money is going to last. Or you might, to say it another way, spending is the critically important factor to determine your success or failure post-retirement. And so, therefore, inflation, which is an element of spending, is a critically important factor to analyze. Yeah, and I think people often use um, – a lot of times I've seen when you know people come in is irrational investment rates of returns, right? Yeah. It's easy to say, hey, let's throw in like a 10% rate of return. And, you know, you, you compound a few of these things on top of each other of maybe expecting too little inflation or no inflation at all and way too high of a, you know, realized kind of rate of return. And all of a sudden it's like that plan you just put together is completely worthless. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing realistic about it at all. Mm-hmm. And from a, now you're trying to maybe back into what can I afford to spend in retirement? Mm-hmm. And you've just done yourself a huge disservice because you've come to this number that really is not, you know, so yeah, there's risk coming at you from every angle. And it's, I think the value of having a professional or having someone, an outsider, helping you realize some of those risks that you probably you may not be aware of yourself is just it's hard to put a value on that so yeah really good discussion today on risk uh keep in mind you know to kind of summarize uh risk is different different for everybody depending on your age whether you've got uh you know depending on your budget um depending on um you know, a a number of factors that we've talked about today. So to close out with our thought of the day, Eli, I'm going to turn it over to you for that. Mm -hmm. And this is from the same essay that I I read the analogy from Les McGuire. He says, what people really want when their minds are open to the possibility is the maximum value in every area of their life with as much certainty as possible. So they want as much value as they can in all areas of life with certainty. Thank you for that, Eli, and thank you to all of you out there listening. Hope you enjoyed today's episode of the podcast, and we look forward to you joining us again next time on the Mach 1 Market Moment. Mach 1 Financial Group, Inc. Mach 1 is an SEC-registered investment advisor located in Bentonville, Arkansas. Mach 1 may only transact business in those states in which it maintains a notice filing or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from registration requirements. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of the firm by the commission, nor does it indicate that the advisor has attained a particular skill level or ability. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The information presented is the sole opinion of the speaker and is not meant to be investment advice. Mach 1 does not provide tax or legal advice. You should speak with your tax or legal advisor regarding your specific situation. For full disclosures, please visit www.mock-1financial.com slash disclosures.